0: Me
1: or not to be faithless is he that says farewell in the road dark. do what
0: is meaningful and not what is expedient oh, that is the question bros
1: before bros welcome back to the pros before bros podcast i am kenny Chesser. with me as always my good friend james crocker james
0: What's good man well, um, I'll tell you. What, I want to. I want to say that the customer service. <laughs> turned into Foghorn Leghorn all I say. I say. I say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why are you making fun of me? <laughs> James, have you listened to this podcast at all? <laughs> what we do.
0: <laughs> customer yeah. service. So, so no, no. Uh, I I want to give a shout out to the excellent customer service that I received at the Lowe's of Corinth. Lowe's
1: home, yes, like the home improvement store. Yes, really. so so I went to Lowe's today. <clears throat> I didn't. It? I've been to Lowe's several occasions, and I didn't realize they had employees. <laughs> Just wandered around
0: the store aimlessly, checked my own self out. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is why I was so surprised at this this uh, customer service that I got. So I, I went to Lowe's, picked up a few things, <clears throat> and I checked out, you know, an actual person checked me out at a register and uh, went, went to my truck, loaded the stuff up, push the cart back to the cart return area. Like any sane person would do. Right. <laughs> Cause I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> I didn't just leave it in the middle of the parking lot. And then I come back home <clears throat> and I had bought a, uh, among some other things i had bought some uh parts for this little sprinkler system that holly has on her plants because she adds more plants to the landscaping every year so i have to expand the irrigation system right every year yeah so, <laughs> so i bought some parts for it well i get home and i start trying to go through my stuff and find it and i'm missing some of them oh, yeah. and i'm like i'm missing a bag from from my Lowe's, I was like, because it was three distinct items that I was missing. I was like, I, I'm missing a whole bag. I, I don't know what happened to it. And so I'm I'm looking through my truck. I'm looking around, and Holly goes, "Why don't you call Lowe's and see if they found it?" <laughs> and I'm thinking, they didn't find it. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, so I said, okay, so I'll call Lowe's. So I call Lowe's, <clears throat> go through the automated system, ask for customer service. So I get a uh, this lady on customer service. Explain to her what happened. I said, look, I was in there a couple hours ago. Uh, I got home, and I, I'm missing a bag. And she said, "I uh, said, could you see if I left it? Might have left it at the register. <clears throat> I checked out on register number five. And uh, she goes, I'll, "I'll go look and see." And so, puts put me on hold. Comes back a few minutes later and goes, "I'm sorry, sir. Uh, we just didn't we didn't find it. Um, but if you want to come back down here and bring your receipt." We'll give you the items for free. And I'm thinking, I said, Well there you go. I said, You don't have to do that. I said, It's probably my fault. She goes, Oh no, sir. You paid for these items. You need to get them. Come on. And so I went back down and they Gave me the stuff for free. That's incredible. That's incredible. And, so, and this story doesn't end with me saying, and then I found them under the seat right, of my truck. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. A, yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. Kudos to Lowe's out there. That's awesome. Well, while you were talking about your uh, landscaping uh, adventures, it made me I think, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you, how did the, the palms do? We had one of the most wicked winters we've ever had uh, over the last, th- did they survive this, uh, this winter? I know y'all had some palms out there.
0: Uh, We still have palms out there. Are they? We do. Um, They're much larger. They're much larger than they were last year. Really? Because I dug the dead ones up yesterday and planted brand new, (laughs) bigger ones. (laughs) seems there's a hint
1: of bitterness in that that explanation, so they didn't make it. I'm Uh, telling you, we had a wicked winter. They they, they didn't.
0: And I I built these little greenhouse structures over them and put heat lamps in there. I think next year I'm just going to have to... like put a perpetual fire in there like run a gas line out there just have a heater in there i don't know you go out there like moses (laughs) gonna be on fire (laughs) my my wife is like if you don't let me move to florida i must bring florida to me who cares that we're temperate climate zone seven and you know you got to be in nine or better to have have a palm tree
1: well i from personal experience i can say that you don't have to be in florida you can be in louisiana and have palm trees we had four i think out by the pool there in uh, louisiana but if you're going to be having palms, go ahead and get to Florida. I don't recommend anybody live in Louisiana. And uh, if you're out there and you're offended, then uh, I'm surprised you're listening to a podcast about books. (laughs) Oh, I love you, Louisiana. I really do. Okay, let's go into uh, our, our books. I think... We got, you started last time, right? I did. Okay, so what, you want to you wanna, uh, pitch it to me? <laughs> I feel like I'm talking
0: all the time. All right. So, Kenny, you, you read anything good lately? Absolutely not. I read some Simon Sinek, and then you know how that goes. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You read anything bad that you want to talk about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I might talk about that latest book. I'm telling you, and this is not a Simon Sinek episode or a hate fest. I think the guy has brilliant ideas, and he gets good studies, and his anecdotes are great. And I can't stand his books. The guy just can't write. <laughs> I, don't, I guess that's what it is, you know. I, or or he writes to someone that's different than me because I know people that like him, and I'm not even saying I'm I'm not better than those people. Those people are better than me. Uh, that in, to, to, in my estimation, I just don't like his writing style. I don't know what it is. I just read uh, Leaders Eat Last, and it's a brilliant concept but it's not a like a 9 hour book
0: <laughs> you know I feel like that's the same thing you said when you reviewed his, the last book yeah. from him you said it's a great concept i was excited to get to the start with why i think right. is what it was yeah it was and you said would have made a great ted talk <laughs> yeah ex- exactly exactly honestly start with
1: why and leaders eat last that would have been a phenomenal opening two chapters in a <laughs> <laughs> a really good book. I don't know. I just like I said, if they were smaller books, or if I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'm not not doing another cynic. Um, uh, so so today I'm going to be reviewing. I'm, it's, it's hard to say this is a good book. This is a terrible book, but it's 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 very gripping. Um, the book I'm going to be talking about is called Ordinary Men by Christopher Browning, and this is one of those books that was recommended by Jordan Peterson, but it wasn't like Hey, you want to feel good about the world? Go read this book. It was like, hey, you think people are good? Go read this book, and it's one of those terrible, uh, true accounting of some a uh, part of our history, and it. It definitely makes the point that it it sets out to make. In my opinion, it does. And it actually is tied to a Jordan Peterson experience. I actually listened to this book on the way to listen to Dr. Peterson lecture and meet him, and I finished it on the way back. And so I was already in, I was like, Peterson gearing up for that type thing. And so I read this book. It is absolutely terrible. And we've talked about this before when we reviewed uh, Night, and that you can, there can be great books about, just absolutely atrocious human history. And this is one of those books. It is um, ordinary men centers on this idea that you can take a group of people that aren't psychopathic. They don't seem like they have any type of violent behavior in their 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 past or their upbringing. And they can be, uh, I won't say led. They can be um, put in scenarios where they commit mass heinous acts. Acts of killing, and so uh, it, it involves. I'll read you a little blurb from it. <clears throat> Excuse me. The men of Reserve Police Battalion One Hundred and One are largely middle-aged men from working and middle-class family backgrounds, with little with little prior experience of military service or Nazi, a Nazi ideology. They were too old to be drafted into the army. They are instead drafted into the order police. Informed by the post-war testimonies of more than 200 former members of this battalion, the book explores how such, quote-unquote, ordinary men came to be responsible for so many atrocities. And so there's this group of men that grew up in Germany. They were old enough when the war broke out that they could not be drafted in to the military service, they were not Hitler youth. They were not indoctrinated from early age. They knew Germany before hit the rise of Hitler. They knew Germany before Nazism and the Third Reich and all that stuff. And so these seemingly, quote-unquote, that's why they want to say ordinary men, they are called on to do some of the mass killings there in like 1941, not to for the final solution for, for you Nazi um, history people out there when the, the solution was put forth, it was these guys that came in to really um, do the killings. And the story accounts it like the, the book accounts, some of what they had, what they did and what they had to do. And it's, it's graphic. They don't, it's written in a very clinical way. It's, he's not like, it's not poetic. It's not like writing to find meaning. It's very, this is how many people, this is how many bullets, this is how they positioned the guns where it wouldn't blow. It, it was stomach turning in, in some points, but how clinical it was, but it is what it is.
0: I mean, it happened and there's the history behind it. So, so what you're saying is these guys, it's almost like they just went to work like, if they were factory workers, right. they just went to work, and instead of putting bolts on a chassis of a car, they're putting bullets in the head of whoever. Right. And, like,
1: not just—I mean, I'm not saying that you you would have the stomach—I don't know what everybody would do when they're called upon by to do some of these acts. Say, like, you're called to go to war, and you believe in the cause— you know that there's going to come with that some killing, or you know you're going to be involved in some in some violent altercations, and so you probably have the stomach for that. If you're a red blooded American male, and someone is encroaching on your land, you know you could probably you know answer the call and go and fight. These men were not fighting in trenches; they were going pulling families out of these ghettos that they were housing, you know, uh these Jewish families in, and. They wouldn't kill in the able-bodied men. They were separating them for work camps, labor camps, and they were killing women and children, and elderly and sick and infirmed. Bro, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let me me read this. Christopher R. Browning prefaces ordinary men with a disturbing statistic. In March 1942, around 80% of all the victims of the Holocaust were still alive, while 20% had already died. But a mere 11 months later, these numbers would be reversed. And so with less than a year, starting in March 1942, from 1942 into 1943, when 80 percent of those that were going to be killed in the Holocaust were still living in 11 months, the numbers reversed and 80 percent that was going to be dead were killed during that time and 20 percent was left living. So it's unbelievable that short window, that's when the that's when the reserve battalion was called upon to go start doing these mass killings.
0: So you're telling me these guys are not zealots, right? They're not ideologues. Absolutely not. There, so what what possesses these guys to to carry
1: out these atrocities? That That is the whole – the question of this book is ordinary men, and it's not one answer. He has four answers for it. I don't want to spoil the whole book. I mean I, I don't want to use spoilers in a, in a book like this, but if you want to read this book and, and, and understand it, I, I will say this from – some of the stories, it's it's hard to say something like this would be encouraging, but there was like a, a a a moment where you're like, well, thank thank the Lord for that. But say these guys during when they were getting their orders stuff like that. When if you if you take apart history and in, in, in especially this period of history in Germany, you realize that there was two different police. You had like the military police, like the. SS, uh, Gestapo, those guys, those. And then you had the order police. Order police were more like municipal, like what we would say, just like cops or whatever. And so the reason that they had all these large police forces was because after the Treaty of Versailles, or Versailles, I, I don't I'll I get that pronunciation wrong all the time, is they couldn't have a military, Germany couldn't have a military above like a certain number, like a hundred something thousand or whatever. And so they started raising up these police forces. And so that's why they had these bulky police forces and they had them separated. Well, when the war wasn't as going as as well as Hitler wanted to do and they were going to ramp up this final solution, they called in these guys that weren't really out on the front lines. Again, they were too old for they were like middle-aged men, they weren't affluent, they didn't, you know, again, they were they lived the majority of their life before Hitler. And so there's just regular Joes they get called in it's like, "All right, now you get over to that 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 uh, Polish ghetto, and you start pulling these families out, and so the the, the thing that kind of like I was I was re- listening, I was like, well, at least that was something, but it's still a, a kick in the gut because it wasn't as much you wanted to be. So this, the, the, their commander. He tells them, he, he, and they say in the accounts, and like I said, he, he's got he, this uh, Christopher, Christopher Browning, who went and pulled records, interviews after the Nuremberg trials and all this stuff. He went through all these transcripts. And the account was before their first mass killing, before they went into this Polish city and had to do what they did, that their commander came to him that morning. They said he had tears in his eyes. And he says, We've been asked to do something that's going to be very upsetting to many of you. And if any of you want to, at this point, say, I don't want to do that. We will reassign you. And I think like 12 of them said no. Now there were some of them that started the killing and had that didn't have the stomach for it and they had to leave. But again, these people that went on with it, they weren't red flagged. It's like what we would say. These people are psychopaths
0: or they're, you know, they're, they're killers. They weren't. So, so another question I would have was, was there a progression in the, the heinousness of the acts that they would have to carry out or did they just go straight from you know regular everyday guys one day and the next day they're killing people or was it almost a progression to where they became desensitized uh to what they were doing and and possibly even to where the the people they were doing it to became dehumanized almost like you know if somebody works in a slaughterhouse right and every day they just they just slaughter hogs for a living and and so I, w-
1: I would say no. The, the, what I, again? I read this book, and I was looking for some of that. The, obviously, they the, this they were in the reserve battalion for longer than this, and they they would. And this, forgive the language. This is exactly what they would call it. They would be, go on Jew hunts, where they would like find those that have fled these camps or this, and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. when it comes to these mass killings, there was nothing like that that was leading up to it. It was such a. St- Staunch and like different thing that like people were literally throwing up, like they were like they were having psychological breaks doing so, this. So,
0: but before this this final solution, that they still had some things they were having to do. Yes, and so they were they were going, they were arresting they people. Were, they were, right, they
1: were, they were on what they would call tours of duty, and they would go to these different places. Um, some of these places, and the, the book hit me a little different because I've recently been to Poland. And um, we did not get to go and tour Auschwitz this time. I was with a young man and a uh, Prospero listener out there. John, if you're listening, uh, we, we were, we were, he had never been to Auschwitz, and we were going to go together And we didn't realize that they had, with the COVID, uh, new COVID protocols, that you couldn't just show up, that you actually had to reserve. And we couldn't get, we could have got the day that we were supposed to leave a tour, but it just didn't work out for us. So instead, and I I had been before years ago, I'd I'd been uh, to Poland and and and, taken that tour. So me and John went instead, just one day, we got like an Uber or whatever. I think we walked uh, down to the ghettos, and we took just a city tour. And it was in like... Unbelievable! Um, just riding around the old the old Krakow ghettos and the stories that you would hear um, of of what they did when they would come in and crack down. One of the things that that they did like they would walk them these death marches to the the extermination camps and they would walk them over the cemeteries of like their sacred, like like where they had buried their fathers and grandfathers and all these, um, and they'd walk them over those graves and walk them out to be exterminated. I mean, the, the psychological things they would do to these people is so, unbelievable.
0: So w- when you're reading this book, did you get the impression that were were these guys themselves in any danger for them or their families if they had not participated See, this in is, some, this thing.
1: This is this is something that, that, that comes up a lot. You've probably heard the old trope, well, they were just following orders. And this is a lot of those guys that would, um, during the Nuremberg trials, that's what was a lot of their defense was we were just following orders. And one thing Browning does point out is that we have no record of anybody ever being shot for not following orders. Like there's no example of, like this guy, this specific group, their commander was like, I'll, I'll, re- I'll, I'll put you somewhere else. I'll reassign you. You don't have to do this. And this is what is such such a terrible realization is that they just, some of the majority of them just did it. They went and did it. And so it goes through all these different things. It does talk about, you know, Hitler's propaganda campaign to talk about how, you know, it was the Jewish people that had crippled the German economy and, and, and that's some of it. But I'm telling you, that's not why, all of these people did this, you know, and I'm going to read one more thing because I know I'm taking up a lot of time here. It says that most of the men in the Reserve Police Battalion 101 were middle-aged family men whose moral compasses were formed before the rise of Nazi culture, and many of them hadn't chosen to join the battalion. They were actually drafted into it, meaning they didn't sign up to be a part of the war. Browning turns the question of why some of these seemingly ordinary men became mass murderers during the war, especially since they were given the freedom to choose not to kill. Ultimately, there is no single answer to the question. It was a combination of these factors, including prevalent racism, combined with an ongoing war, the tendency to respect authority and the men's belief in the German superiority due to widespread Nazi propaganda. And as the men themselves admit, the desire to conform to the group, it was almost like peer pressure, part of it. And Mm so one of the things and I didn't write this down, but I remember it because it stuck in my head. Um, This group, this one group was involved in killing like 83,000 people
0: what size group are we talking about here this
1: group this the police battalion 101 I don't have it wrote in front of me I just I looked it up five hundred men in that battalion responsible
0: for 83 thousand deaths five hundred men that's insane that is crazy is it not that's hundreds of people per man right right
1: <laughs> and so it kind of puts it in a perspective you look at from a sheer numbers perspective it's like there's no way that that small a number comparatively to the people that they killed should have got away with it but it shows you like the clinical nature of how they exterminated these people mm-hmm. it wasn't a, you know it wasn't a free for all it wasn't a fight you know it was it was cold and calculated and it's very upsetting but the question of how Quote-unquote, ordinary man could do that is something to ponder. And I thought Browning—Browning, honestly, the last part of the book was him arguing with another academic uh, who wrote like a polemic up against his book, and he just revised and says— He's made some good points. I'm going to tell you why. And like the other position is like, well, these guys were just crazy or they were
0: like bad people. And like the point is, no, these and, are ordinary and people. And you think, you know, well, if I was in those shoes, this is what I, I would have done. And and if, of course, as you see this, you think, well, really? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Would I have done that? That's, that's, you know, you
1: hope you'd be one of the 12 immediately. You hand up, say, no, I'm not cool with this and, you know, go somewhere else. But history bears out that there's. Those are not just in this this one battalion, but in that country and in other parts of the world. That's things like this that happen. It's usually a minority of people. It's not it's not the majority. And That's one thing that about current history that bothers me is when people so, um, what's the what's the word. The accusations of the men in the past, when you judge people outside of their time, right. and we're not saying these are perfect people or good people, but I see the tendencies represented by the majority these days, and I don't see, you know, we're not at the point now where we're killing each other, but some of the vitriol that you have against your enemies and your ideological, uh, ideological uh, foes or whatever, it, it, it'd it be very easy to turn, you get the right leader, and you get the right people not looking. Um, it's 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 humans. And I think that's something I saw one time that, like, really put history in perspective is, like, when you read history and say, man, those people were bad, you're reading it wrong. What you need to do when you read history and say, man, humans can be bad. Yeah. And I am a human, you know, because it, it's a it's a warning in a lot of ways. So uh, I don't recommend this book to most people. Uh, so on the worth the read, if you like history and you like um, – some psychology there's some of that in there um it's it's challenging it's hard to read i don't recommend this for most most people that i would talk to um but for those history guys out there um and those people that like to deal with those dark uh, questions i would say definitely on the subject i haven't read many books in its uh, class it's it's really it's really well researched and the man he did his he did his homework so that's what i would say about that book
0: all right uh so we're into this podcast about 22, 23 minutes. Uh, so let me jump onto my book here uh, that I brought this week. And we're going to go from one, uh, you know, just notoriously evil group of people. To what the author of the book I'm going to talk about would say another, another evil, evil group of people. Yeah. So yeah. the book, the book that I'm going to bring this Which week. Which when you put it in perspective, what we just talked about, <laughs> it's like, okay, are they really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. so, so the book I'm going to talk about is called Fulfillment, Winning and Losing in One Click America by Alec McGillis. Okay. And so uh, who this book is talking about is Amazon. Ooh. So, um, Mr. Bezos. Yes. Are you familiar with Amazon, Kenny? You ever use Amazon you for know, anything? You know, I have heard about, it's like a river or something. It's yes, like yes, a- it's, it's one of the longest rivers <laughs> in the world, I mean, South America. Now, so, you know, everybody knows who, you know, Amazon is, is like the place. If you're going to buy something today, Amazon is almost the first place you're going to look. Right. Um, and so I, do, I really didn't know when I, when I grabbed this book what I was going to be getting into. I thought maybe I'm gonna, I was going to be reading about the, the logistics of, of how Amazon made it look. I didn't realize that this book was going to be casting Amazon in such a negative light. Now, oh, this, yeah. this is an anti-Amazon book. Oh, yeah. Um, so in this book, um, what, what he really focuses on is the impact that Amazon has had on local economies. Yeah, and uh, he goes into uh, he gives a lot of stories about how you know certain towns their industries uh, were dried up, um, the, their businesses traditional businesses closed down, and then Amazon would come in and and take that it would would buy that land and and build a fulfillment center there, and and you know they would you know with the promise of jobs and the promise of this and of course. Uh, according to you know the stories that he's telling, it usually ends up in a worse condition than it was before. The jobs aren't as good as the, the jobs that the jobs that came with the Amazon centers weren't as good as the the jobs that left right. and and those types of things,
1: or the jobs that they kind of siphon employees yes. that you know off of, and those factors may have have to shut down or whatever. Right.
0: Um, now, I I've always been pro Amazon. Like, I have been using Amazon since Amazon only sold books. Right. Like, I, I can, I'm can, i old enough to remember <clears throat> when the, the best thing about Amazon was you could buy used books cheap. I remember cheap. that, yeah. And, and, and I used to buy books like crazy from Amazon, and I thought it was the greatest thing. And then somehow that, you know, kind of just right before your eyes without even realizing it morphed into the buy everything. Right. The, everything that you need. I remember, <laughs> like, how weird it was,
1: the proposition that you could buy groceries you know, online, they would deliver them to you.
0: Like, and Amazon was one of the, you know, they, they were doing that as well. You know, and, and one, m- while most, a lot of companies were hurt by this pandemic, I mm-hmm. mean, Amazon had set themselves up. Right. And it, it was like perfect for them. They yeah. were the perfect solution that they already was had built the trucks. in. You know, they, they already yeah. they had everything there and and just, you know, you don't even have to leave home. Right. We'll, you know, anything you want, we'll ship it to you. Um, <clears throat> But a couple of things in this book that I didn't realize was some of the, the business practices of Amazon, while they're technically not illegal, they <laughs> I mean, might be considered unethical. Right, right. Which basically, I mean, that's a that's a very uh, I wouldn't say a
1: good description of it, but it's a very it's 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 a characteristic of capitalism, you know. That was like okay, I mean, if it's not legal, you know. You know, it's it's that non like how regulated do you want the market to be before it actually, you know,
0: starts, you know, negatively impacting it. And so I know exactly like I've heard some they've got some cutthroat uh, practices. (laughs) So so just to give a couple of examples, some of the things that that some of the business practices that that the writer of the book goes into that Amazon does is so now they have an Amazon marketplace. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I don't know how much people realize that everything you buy on Amazon, you're not buying everything from Amazon. Right. There are third-party sellers on Amazon. Well, these third-party sellers have to pay a fee to Amazon in order to be on their marketplace. Well, and, of course, you might you think, well, you know, Amazon has millions and hundreds of millions of customers that are going to drive to these people's storefront, so, you know, they can't afford not to be on Amazon. Right. But the problem then is that Amazon's algorithm Yeah you know, will it measures and, and everything. And so what Amazon will do is, am, is that Amazon will look what these other people are selling and, and what products they have that are good products. And then Amazon will go and make their own right. products exactly. in these categories and then use the algorithm to promote their own products right. first. Right. And they will undercut the pricing. Because the people are already (laughs) getting
1: more to be on Amazon, so they already know they have that edge on them.
0: And so then they will undercut them on pricing to the point of Amazon taking a loss on the products and then driving the other people out of business. (laughs) Good Lord. Yeah, that's cutthroat. That's absolutely cutthroat business. Now, but I will say one thing I didn't like about the book. One thing I did not like about this book, which, you know, at first I went in skeptical because I was a fan of Amazon and, and, and as he kept piling stories on top of stories on top of stories, I'm thinking, man, these are, these are some really sad stories that you're peeling out here. But then as he began to keep doing that, I started thinking, man, you know, that, that. The, pl- the, the the plural of antidote is not data like you're right. just giving me you're pulling out you're cherry picking the saddest stories right. uh, to try to to emotionally bring me to a place and I recognized that he was trying to do that right but I will tell you by the end he was getting there yeah, yeah. at a <laughs> certain point <laughs> you know at a certain point I was like I, I'm never buying anything from Amazon again right and then I needed something yeah, and so- <laughs> yeah. I, I get it I, I really do like there's a there is
1: a line. And I've had to articulate the line before to people that have challenged me on or whatever. There is an ethical line, and everybody has to do it their own. I'm not a I'm not a boycott like announcer. I don't sign them. I don't like. I will probably have things in my mind. Right. I'm like I'm not going to buy that product from that people or whatever. But nobody else will know it until they ask me. Hey, did you buy that product? And even then, I still I'm not going to give them a. But there's, you know, there's different there's ethical lines that you got to be conscious of. And and once you make that decision. It's like it's so easy though. Amazon's right there. It's in my pocket. You it's know, like one click checkout. Right? right, right. And the thing is, like the competitors too. Like the only competitor I would say that's even close to Amazon right now would be like Walmart and their Walmart Plus. They do, they're and they were, they're doing similar things now, especially since the pandemic. And but then you get into Walmart's history, and like there's just as many documentaries, if not more, and books written against Walmart. And so you know, it's just it's you know, it's the world we live in. You look at it and say, all right, these guys are giants, but man, they've got a, a lot of bodies. You
0: know, In the path, I know, and and, and you know, the, the whole thing is, man, buy local, support your local merchants, and you're like, man, it's twice the
1: price, right? It's right. <laughs> like, so, man, none of my locals are living high on the hog. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it, I get it completely. So, what about the uh, do
0: you got more to say about it, or do you want to do a worth the read real quick? Um, I, I'm, <clears throat> I'll go ahead and get, get to the worth the read because you know, it. As far as that goes, it, it felt like it was the same old, same old. You know, he just yeah. kept repeating stories, one sad story, and he would just go to another town and tell about, you know, how this mom and pop had their department store that they were built from the ground up. They were immigrants, and right. the family passed it down from generation to generation, then Amazon put them out of business. Right. You know, here's the thing. And I and, I and get now their grandson, <laughs> is, their grandson is working in the distribution center and got ran over by a forklift, <laughs> <left>, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Here's here's the thing about the mom and pops and I'm going to say this and I'm probably going to make some enemies enemies out there. Here's the thing. I've I've been to mom and pops before, and it's it's hard to you know when you say mom and pops, number one, you're like oh beloved mom and pop, you know it's already got that emotional <laughs> pull what how you're describing it. I've been in some awful mom and pops, and they're going out of business without like Amazon's help. There's been before Amazon and Walmart, these people have run their businesses into the ground, and and the ones that have stayed, they've got a loyal uh, following built up because they delivered. You know, time and time again on the products, and didn't, and so I've been. Well, here's the thing: like I've been like, there's been big corporations that fail, and there's been mom and pops that fail. So that argument doesn't get me as much. And and I know you're smiling because you you you're you're right there with me on some of this. But I'm like, some of those like I've been to mom and pops, man. They got cats. <laughs> Cat hair everywhere. And the whole place smells like pee. I'm like, you know what? You know, you, you don't deserve <laughs> this business. I get it. I mean, but that's been going. It has been
0: happening for for a long time. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so on the worth the read. Uh, I think I rated this book three stars. Yeah. You know because and that's pretty low on Goodreads. Because yeah. yeah. Because you know you don't you don't want to give something a one star if you actually and I don't rate books that I don't finish right you know so if it's if it's like one or two stars I'm probably not finishing that really? book so yeah. so but I did finish this book but you know I would not recommend it um, I, I I just felt like that he he just kept he was trying to just cherry pick sad stories right to try to make Amazon look bad yeah and. Uh, did he have any good any good thing to say about Amazon? That's another thing that like when I when I read something like that, it's an attack, like you know, no. Like just No, he had nothing nothing good. He was very anti yeah Amazon you know yeah, they, I, that they were bad. they're bad for the environment they're bad for the mom and pops right, right. they're giving people cancer yeah. they're killing people in their factories with forklifts and trying to cover it up right. you know it's just yeah <laughs> there was every, every nothing possible negative life, story yeah. you know he dug it out
1: and put it in the book i got it i got it okay um we're at 32 minutes uh james you want to take us out here
0: today uh thanks for listening today uh We had two books here uh, that we did not recommend you read. So, you know, that's kind of unusual for the podcast. Hopefully, we'll get that episode we mentioned already, the episode that we uh, didn't get to publish uh, with our good friend Ramsey Callahan. Hopefully, coming up soon, uh, we'll have that episode for you. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast, we do ask that wherever you're listening, go and give us a five-star review. That may help us with the algorithm, maybe get a few more people listening to us. And until next time, God bless.